If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at those first uh, nine verses. And today we're continuing our series, Together We Believe, where we've been looking at uh, the five solas. Now, the five solas are five Latin phrases or, or slogans that really emerge from the Protestant Reformation. And these were really intended to summarize the Reformers' basic theological principles that really were in contrast to and, and differed from the Roman Catholic Church. And, and so sola is the Latin word, which means alone or only, that they together believed in the Protestant Reformation. These were the five things that would set us apart. And so the first that we talked about a couple weeks ago was sola gratia, which is grace alone. Sola fida, which we'll talk about today, which is faith alone. Solus Christus, which is Christ alone, and I'm giddy and excited for that week. Um, and then Sola Scriptura, which is Scripture alone, and Soli Dio Gloria, which is glory to God alone. And, and so I, what I want to do before we get into our text is just kind of give you an overview. I did this a couple weeks ago, but if you weren't here, this is kind of important for us to understand because it wasn't just uh, a, a simple veering away and saying, hey, you believe this, we believe that, so we're just going to go our separate ways. There was a lot more to that, and it wasn't just a simple conversation. And so there are really three men that I want to highlight um, that really helped bring forth this Reformation, and the first was Martin Luther. Um, you may have heard much about Martin Luther. He was born in 1483. He was born a peasant in Germany. He became a monk and a priest and even a biblical theologian in the Catholic Church. But Luther really saw much corruption and abuse in the church, he saw that the church was selling tickets of indulgence, of, of forgiveness from sins for money, that you could buy your way to heaven and you could buy your way, buy your relative's way to heaven who had deceased already. And he saw many people didn't really understand the sermons that were being taught because they were taught in Latin and the, and the commoners didn't understand Latin. So this created a lot of confusion around what Christianity was. And then even the religious posts within different cities were, were sold off almost to the highest bidder. So that led even to more confusion in each town and even in the pulpit. And, and so Luther really thought that the church had gone too far away from the original teaching of Scripture and that the church should return to its roots and really give more weight to what was written in the Bible. And so... In 1517, on October 31st, the Reformers' celebration beyond Halloween, Luther nailed a list of grievances against the Catholic Church onto the door of a chapel in Wittenberg, Germany. And his 95 thesis became the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation. And so this really began a, a, a division between the Protestant movement and the Roman Catholic Church. So then you have uh, Yolrich come into the picture. He was born in 1484. He was a Swiss mercenary soldier and, and political activist, and, and he really believed in this Protestant Reformation. And he believed in this kind of separation from the Catholic Church, but he kind of also differed uh, from Luther on, on the sacraments and, and the works in Christian living. But they were together in agreement about these five solas. And then finally, one of the more popular was John Calvin, who came in much later in 1509. And Calvin was a French layman who had studied theology and, and really originally planned to, to go over and practice law, but 
but really God had captured his heart. And, and John Calvin became one of the dominant writers of this Reformation, kind of helping that language take form that it was the Protestant Reformation. And today, Calvin's work is well known as a movement called Calvinism. But what I, what I want us to understand, and I said this uh, last time we were talking a couple weeks ago, and I'll probably say it every single week of this series, this series is not about elevating the reformers. This is not a, a series about stance of where you're at theologically, but about looking at the truths from Scripture and the character of God that they really strongly held to. And so as we look at this second sola, faith alone, we see that God saves us by his grace, that when we respond through faith alone, we are justified in him. And so if you're someone who's taken notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks, that God saves us by his grace, that when we respond through faith alone, we are justified in him. And so ultimately, this sentence really comes out of our text. And so we're going to read in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. So Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so in our, our text, and I want to just kind of recap on uh, um, the first solo that we covered, we see that God saves us by his grace. That God's grace is his unmerited favor and undeserved kindness that he gives to us even though we don't deserve it. And so what that means is that God acted first on our behalf. So for us to have new life in Christ, God moved towards us in love and gave us grace. And we looked at this even by reading this text in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this shows God's movement in this. And so what that means is that grace, grace means that salvation starts with God, not with man. Salvation starts with God and he takes the initiative and he makes the first move. And the reality of that is that if God didn't make the first move, we would never make any move at all. Because what I've reminded us of is that we chose hell, but God chose heaven. That we chose damnation, but God chose salvation. We chose to run from God, and God chose to run after us through Jesus. And so this is one of the beautiful truths of the Bible. If you haven't heard me repeat this over and over, let me remind you that it's always been God reaching out to man, not man reaching to God. And our reaching back is in response to his pursuit of us. 
So it's by God's grace alone that we are saved. This is what saves us. And so ultimately, in all of this series and in the believer's life, the core theme and the truth is that God alone is at work. All of the work that we do, anything we do, is in response to God's work alone. And so what that means is that we aren't saved by what we do or who we are. We're saved by who he is and what he has done. That's grace. It's not by our efforts, not by our works. It's by his. So how does God save us? He saves us by his grace, by his kindness. He chooses to and he wants to. Think about that for a minute. God chose to save you. He wants to save you and he loves to because he loves you. He loves to do this because he loves you. But that's, that's about him. It's, it's not about us. And so that really leaves us with the question, if God saves us by his grace, and that is his reaching out to us, what's our response? What is our response where we're to be reaching back to receive this saving grace? See, our response is to believe, is to have faith, that we have faith and that alone. And so God saves us and we receive him. God saves us and we rest in him. God saves us and we trust in him. And so as he gives us his grace, we give him our faith. That we would respond through faith alone. Now see, grace and faith come, come together very closely. These two out of the five solas are the, the closest two together as almost could be taught uh, together, but really important because it's so much text to cover. We, we just split it into two weeks. But it's really like two sides to one coin. The, the, the first side is it, that it is by his grace that he chooses to save us. And, and then the other side is our response, that it's by our faith that we respond to his saving grace. And so ultimately, faith is really the same as belief. Belief that God will save us. Trust that God is saving us, that we then rest in God's salvation of us. And so ultimately to have faith is where we're resting in what God has done, which then frees us from efforts to earn our salvation. See, this, is one of the, this was one of the main issues for the reformers because what the Catholic church was doing is they were preaching a salvation as something you earned or bought, which ultimately is a false gospel. And so the Catholic view of this was really that it was faith plus good works equaled salvation. And so this is really important for us. This is important for us to understand because ultimately we have done nothing and we can do nothing to earn or buy our salvation. And so the Protestant view here is really that faith equals salvation where then the believer then walks in good works which we see in scripture, that our works don't save us. It's not our works that save us. It's Jesus's works that save us. So in the, in the midst of our works, what, what tends to happen is, is we tend to take on one of, one of two views. And we tend to take them that these views that are really unhealthy and really unrealistic. And the first is the worker's view, that you only get what you deserve in, in sports, you, you only get the points you make. In school, you only get the grade point you earn. In work, you only make as much money as you have coming. And in Christianity, you're only as good as the things you do and the way you appear. 
And so we have the worker's view. If I work to a point of perfection, then I will reach approval. And then you have the debtor's view, that, that if, you're, if you're to get anything, then you've got to give something. If I'm going to receive this, I have to greatly give something. And then you, you've got to pay back. You, you've got to earn it. You've got to, you've got to make it up. That, that it's just not received. It has to be earned. That's the debtor's view. But the reality, like I said, is that our works don't save us. Jesus' works save us. And so this is where faith comes in. Because faith is different from works. So it's not the confidence of our own works. It's trusting in Jesus' works. Not our own works, but Jesus' works. And Paul says this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So here what we learn is that when the Bible uses the language of grace, it's talking about Jesus' works. It's talking about Jesus' works. And this is why we put our faith in Jesus. Because through faith, we've been given the opposite of the worker's view. So in Christ, we have something we didn't work for. And it's the opposite of the debtor's view because in Christ, we have something we don't have to pay back. But I think one of the main reasons for the division between works and faith, aside from the scriptural argument, is really that it brings into question where our trust lies, where our trust is, is lying. Because if you rest in the grace of God, then you know that it is by responding through faith alone that you are saved. But if what you're wrestling with or, or anxiously fighting for is your own self-confidence, then what you have is worthless works that don't save anyone. So let me just encourage you with this for a second. That when you believe and you trust and you rest in God's grace, through faith alone, you are justified in him. It's not by your works. It's not by your efforts. It's by resting and believing and trusting in Jesus' works. And so really that, that through that, through faith alone, we are justified in him. And so justification is this doctrine that, that God pardons and he accepts and he declares sinners like us to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Not, not on our righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness, where we then receive God's peace and his spirit and his salvation. And so Paul brings this up all throughout the book of Romans, but I just kind of want to highlight some of these pieces that are really important that he brings up on justification that we really see in chapters 3 through 5. Paul says that it's based on God's grace in Romans 3 verse 24. He says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Then he talks about justification being grounded in Christ's blood. In Romans 5, verse 9 that we read, he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Then also he says that justification is not according to our works in Romans 4, verse 5. He says, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then also, Paul tells us that justification is through faith alone. 
In Romans 3, verse 28, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See, sometimes we, we talk about justification and forgiveness as though they're the same thing. That we've been, we've been justified and we've been forgiven, and, and we look at those almost as the same word, which they're not. It's true that they happen at the same time, and they are inseparable. You can't separate the forgiveness of God from the justification of God, but, but they're not the same thing, because no one is forgiven who is not also justified, and no one is justified who is not also forgiven. So they're closely tied together, but they're not the same thing. And so where they differ is that forgiveness is the subtraction of sin from your record. It's the removal, where justification is the addition of righteousness to your record, approval. So this becomes the great exchange of the gospel, that it's sin removal for Christ approval. And so let me just give you this illustration to help you. Just If you think on the terms of a report card for your life, think about that. If God gave you a report card on your life without Jesus, what would it look like? Think about that for a moment. It would be covered with black marks. It would be marked up, dotted, highlighted for all the sin that you've committed, all the bad that you've done. And so ultimately on our own, God gives you an I and F because without Christ, we fail. We flunk every time. And, and no matter how hard you try, you'll never get a higher grade than an F. But when we come to Jesus, our grade is washed away. Those sins are gone. It, it's like the, the card has been removed. So then now in Christ, what, what grade does God give us? Is it a C, barely passing? Is it a, is it a B? It's okay, but it's not great. Now see that the moment our failed grade is washed away, which is forgiveness, then God gives us an A. That's justification. So we get the grade Christ earned. So it's no longer about your report card. It's no longer about how well you've done. It's about the report card of Jesus, which is perfect. And so you don't barely pass by with God. You make the honor roll. You go to the head of the class. In fact, all those in Christ, there is no head of the class. There's just Christ. So it's not about how good you are. It's not about how awesome you are. That's why I keep reminding you all the time that you make a crummy God, that Jesus is ultimately what you need. Because left to ourselves, we would still flunk every time. We would still fail. Our report card would be incomplete and, and tattered and beaten up but we get an A because we, we are united with Christ, that we are in Christ, that we would put our faith in Christ. And so then ultimately the same righteousness that was once demanded that we get an F because we did not meet that righteousness now demands that we get an A when we believe in Christ, that we are altogether forgiven by grace alone, that our record is wiped clean and we are declared righteous, and we are justified. And so really then, this changes our living completely. That if we're just trusting and resting in, in God, then, then there's a word change there in our living. It's, it's done versus do. So you can see why m this changed Martin Luther's life completely. 
Why this concept of, it's not about how hard I work, but about how I trust in the finished work of Jesus. So this doctrine of justification by faith alone really sparked this Protestant Reformation where Luther said, I'm going to rest in this rather than try to conjure up some perfect works that I'll never be able to meet. And so this really became a a central doctrine of the faith that really set Christianity apart from all the other religions of the world. And so the difference between religions of the world and Christianity is two letters versus four. That religion is spelt with two letters. It's do. That religion is a list of things that people think they have to do in order to be accepted by God. So it's always do this, do that, do better, do more. That's what religion is all about. That if you want to be saved, if you want to receive salvation, you're going to to need to do something and keep on doing it until the day you die. And you better make sure you do it perfectly. But but Christianity is different because it's it's spelt with four letters that says done. Christianity is not based on what we do, but upon what Jesus Christ has already done. So it's past tense. So if you want to be saved, if you want to receive salvation, you don't have to do any of these tasks. You don't have to follow after this world of religion. You just have to trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. That by trusting in him, you would, you would walk in faith alone, not in your own works, but in faith alone. That's it. That's the whole difference between following after a meaningless religion and following after the Christ who was crucified for your salvation, who rose again that in his new life, you would have life. That it's not do, it's not go out and do better, do this, it's done. It's look at what Christ has done and putting your trust and your faith in him. So let me ask you that as we leave here. Do you trust in the finished work of Jesus? Not do you do do the things that help you somehow receive the finished work. Do you trust in the finished work of Jesus? Because what Paul would go on to say later in Romans 10 is for those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Christ died and was raised for them, they will be saved. So it's not do, it's done. So do you trust in that finished work of Jesus? Let's pray.